Good morning, church. Thank you, guys. Uh, my name is Chad Adams. If you don't know me, it's nice to see everybody this morning. Thank you for joining us. Um, my wife, Albany, and our daughter, Charlotte, are part of a community group, the Adams Prado group, and uh, we're so glad to be here. This is actually my wife and baby's first Sunday back since uh, Charlotte was born, so but I'd steal the, the time and say that. <laughs> uh, anyway, our text today is in Mark chapter 10. Um, we're continuing in our Mark series. We're going to be in Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. I'm going to be reading from the ESV translation. Uh, the text says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Uh, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Thank you, Redeemer Church's newest daddy. That's, a, that's a exciting. Glad you're back, Albs, Charlotte, glad y'all are here. I always have problems with these music stands. There we go. All right, we're good to go now. Hey, welcome back. We're uh, in our Mark series. We're going to be in Mark 10 today. Uh, last week we talked about divorce and remarriage, uh, and that was pretty heavy. So today we're going to be talking about kids, which I'm hoping is a little wider for us emotionally. But in light of that, there's still some things that I want us to consider. There's some things that I want to call you to. Um, this is one of the most beautiful pictures of the humanity of Jesus that we have. I know there are a lot of like differing mental pictures of Jesus that we can paint in our minds, like baby Jesus, crucified Jesus, grown-up bearded Jesus, uh, shiny Jesus. Uh, if you grew up like me, maybe you have this like hippie. Jesus with a weird sheep obsession picture. I know for some of you that are coming from like a Catholic background, you may be tempted to picture like a stoic Jesus or a, a serious Jesus. If you grew up Protestant like me, we had these like effeminate white Jesus pictures everywhere, the white guy in a robe with a dark beard. If you didn't grow up in church, or you're new to Christianity, or you, you don't have much of a frame of reference for Jesus, like maybe your mental pictures of Jesus are like meme-worthy caricatures of like Jesus with the thumbs pointing that you like text around to your friends as a, as a joke. Um, regardless of how you picture Jesus, like in, in your mental faculties, regardless of the view you have of Jesus, I just want to call you all to just set that aside this morning. Just lay aside whatever unhelpful picture of Jesus you have. And let's just really look and consider who Jesus is according to the scriptures. One of the reasons that I want to preach the whole counsel of God's word is to really see and understand who God is. Our desire is to consider all of the Bible in order to see God for who he truly is as revealed in the word of God. So what we see in the story uh, today is Jesus' heart for children. But I want to call you to consider a few implications for us in what we see in this story. First of all, if you really want to know what God is like, then you need to look at Jesus. Specifically, you need to look at Jesus' interactions with people. 
So my hope this morning is that your affections are stirred for God. My hope this morning is that this story uh, of Jesus and the kids leads you to worship. Uh, my other hope this morning is that this story, the story of the amazing love of Jesus to people, leads you to action and propels you towards mission. I want this story to move you beyond the surface level application of Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. That is certainly true. But I really, really want you to consider the kind of people who get to enter the kingdom of heaven. Really consider the kind of people that God allows to enter his kingdom. And I also just want us to consider again how this story propels us to mission in our homes and in our communities. And I want us to consider this passage in three ways, if you will. There's like, I talk about three buckets a lot. Here's the three buckets for for this text. The familial component, the social component, and then there's a spiritual component for all of us. So we're going to dive into this text, but first let's pray and, and ask the Lord to illuminate our hearts this morning. Lord Jesus, we need you. Lord, show us our need for you. Show us um, just grace and mercy. Lord, reveal yourself to us this morning. I pray that you would cast off any unbelief this morning that we have, like any unhelpful views that we have of you this morning, Jesus. I pray that you would help us to see that unbelief and lay it aside and cling to what is true and what is right and what you reveal about yourself in your word. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for calling a people unto yourself. Lord, may we see our need for you this morning in light of your interaction with precious children. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Mark 10, beginning in verse 13, it says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. Okay, so just a couple of things for context. Jesus has been on the scene now for a couple of years, and by this point in our walk through Mark, from the beginning of his earthly public ministry until the time of his ascension into heaven, which is like Mark 16, Acts 1, Matthew 28, this time from beginning to end of earthly public ministry spans about three years. And as I mentioned last week, Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem where he would be crucified. And so as he's moving closer and closer to the day of his crucifixion, his fame is continuing to spread. His popularity is still growing. People want to see Jesus. But not necessarily because they believe he is God, even though some do, but because of what they think he can do for them. So like we've seen this over and over and over that Jesus has done miracle after miracle after miracle. So now we have these people bringing their kids to Jesus. They want Jesus, just just touch my kid. They want Jesus to touch their children. And his disciples are standing at the door, and they're not allowing people to get in. It's like they're acting as Jesus' bodyguards or Jesus' political handlers. Have you ever seen a sporting event or a concert where someone like tries to rush the field or get on stage and like snap a selfie with the, with the artist. And then these security guards are chasing the streaker around the field until they tackle the would-be assailant attention seeker. Y'all have seen that, right? I saw a video on Instagram where uh, a guy rushed the stage at a Zac Brown Band concert. 
and uh, J.J. Watt, who plays in the NFL, was standing just off stage, and he ran in and destroyed that poor guy. Uh, made that kid regret ever liking bad country music to begin with. Yeah. Um, so the disciples are functioning like this for Jesus. They're like his security guards. But Jesus has never asked them to do this. So while all these people are trying to bring their babies to Jesus, the disciples rebuke them. Almost to say to these people, it's a complete waste of time for Jesus to spend time with your kids. The disciples, yet again, show their lack of faith, their lack of understanding, and their hardness of heart towards people. This is revealed in their like, desire to be exclusive on who they would and would not allow to interact with Jesus. And look at how Jesus responds to this. Verse 14, it says, But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The text says Jesus was indignant. This is the only time in all four Gospels that this word is used to describe Jesus. The way this word is used in the uh, original Greek language, it's a righteous anger. Anger towards a wrong being committed is what we see in Jesus here. James Edwards in his commentary says this about indignation. The object of a person's indignation reveals a great deal about the person. Jesus' displeasure here reveals his compassion and defense of the helpless, the vulnerable, and the powerless. Jesus in his indignation is saying, yes, indeed, children are worth my time. And as his people, they should be worth our time as well. Jesus' indignation reveals the level of his love and compassion he has for people, including, but not limited to, kids. He was angry at the disciples because he loves all people. And as his followers, they should pursue this type of love towards people as well. I approached this text this week with a level of assumptions that turned out to be completely inaccurate. I thought that in history, kids in a Jewish culture specifically were really highly valued. But after doing some research this week, it became clear to me that kids were not always as highly valued as I thought. And by the time the, the book of Mark um, had reached Christians in Rome, children were even less valued culturally. Oftentimes they were seen as a commodity or a status symbol. Sometimes they were viewed as an inconvenience. Almost like they were a part of life, but not always a desired part of life. Oftentimes they were considered burdensome within the culture. So it's almost understandable that the disciples would take this view uh, of kids. By now they should have grasped that Jesus was, was different. And Jesus wasn't swayed by cultural norms and cultural expectations of him. So Jesus, yeah, come on kids, invites the kids to come to him. And in the true Jesus Christ sort of way, look at what he does. Verse 16, it says, And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. 
Jesus calls each mother and father to bring their children, to bring their child to Jesus. Each in turn brings their child to Jesus. Jesus picks up each child and proclaims a blessing on them and prays for them. In Jewish liturgy, like Jewish rituals, uh, there's what's known as the blessing, or in Hebrew, the pasim. When it says that Jesus blessed them, this is alluding to a few things. Jesus scoops these children up. Jesus blesses them by giving them a special, tu- uh, special touch. He gives them a word attaching a really high value to them. Um, there's a picture of a, a special future that he's painting for them. And then he bestows on the parents just an act of commitment to them and an act of command for them. Jesus is tender. Jesus is affectionate to these children. So now I'd like us to consider these four verses in light of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. This story, as I said in the introduction, has to move you beyond the surface level interpretation of Jesus loves kids, which he emphatically does, right? But if that is all we glean from this text, we are missing a few major components of what I believe God is calling the church to be. First, I want to deal with the familial component of this. We talk about mission to the next generation a lot here. So from the onset, in this text, we see mothers and fathers, grandparents and relatives, aunts, uncles, friends, neighbors, getting little children to Jesus. We talk about this as a church a lot. We talk about this as a staff a lot. And I often tell young men who want to be pastors and church guys that our first ministry is not to Redeemer Church or whatever ministry we find ourselves in. Our first ministry is to love Jesus first and foremost. And then out of that, we are to point our families back to Jesus. If I pastor a church in the fundome, for years and years and years, and we grow, and many people come to faith, and we baptize a lot of people, but my wife and kids are not in love with Jesus because I have neglected their spiritual well-being as the spiritual leader of my home, then I have completely failed as a pastor. So if you're a mom or dad with kids, your first job is to train your kids in godliness and not, not outsource that to the church. I only want this to be a supplement for you. If this is the only exposure to Jesus that kids raised in a Christian home are getting, then we are doing this wrong. If you are a Christian parent in here and Sunday mornings are the only exposure your kids are getting to God, then I'd ask you to consider that this text is calling you to more. And you may need to repent of some stuff. You may need to repent of some laziness here. I know I have for sure many a time had to repent of just some laziness in my role as a spiritual leader of the home. This text is telling you that you, moms and dads, Friends and neighbors are to be the primary disciple maker of your kids, not me, not Mark, not Netflix, not Disney Plus, you. We have resources available to help you in this. We want to walk alongside you in this. So here are a couple things to start immediately if you're not. 
as we look at this text, we see a strong desire to get kids to Jesus. Man, we can do this in a number of ways that require a commitment and that require intentionality on our part and require consistency for years and years and years. We must be evangelizing our kids with gospel language. We disciple them with the Bible as the center because Jesus is the center of the Bible. Jesus is the point of the scriptures. Jesus is the main character of the Bible. So we teach our kids Bible verses and not just the sake for teaching them Bible verses, but really we're teaching them how to apply the scriptures to all of life. We must be diligent in allowing the Bible to inform our worldview and how we live and how we operate as Christians. Our homes, this goes for all of us, not just for parents, but our homes need to be homes that are saturated in prayer. Christians must be praying people, and not just around the dinner table, but in all circumstances, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5. So moms and dads, read the Bible with your kids. Pray with your kids. Ask your kids questions about what you read in the Bible with your kids. We encourage our kids. We bless our kids. We bestow honor on our kids, not because they are our kids, but because they are people who, like us, are made in the image of God. We discipline our kids for holiness. We challenge our kids in righteousness. We must be the chief repenters of our homes. And in doing so, we model the humility of Jesus. We must not turn our kids into idols to be pampered and coddled and to be placed at the center of the universe. That is a place that all of us, when left to ourselves, would most readily occupy. Children are a gift from the Lord. And all good gifts make really terrible gods. So love and lead out of the understanding that our children are ours to steward. Children are sinners just like us. Children need grace just like us. Christians, moms, dads, aunts, and uncles, any of you that have children in your life, are you modeling this for the children in your life? If you don't have kids... Are you encouraging this with the people you're in community group with, with kids? When I say this is a familial component of the text, it isn't limited to the nuclear family. It extends to the household of God. By all means, church, listen to me. If you see me with any inconsistency here, I need you to love me enough to tell me. I need you to love me enough to call me to the carpet on these things. This is so vitally important for all of us, that we are bearing with one another in love in all things, and that includes the investment in our children. So that's the familial component. Now there's a, a social component that I think we need to infer based on this text, and it's this. Jesus loves children, and so should his church. I want to speak real briefly about some ramifications of what, I've, what I'll call generational ambivalence or generational ignorance amongst church people. I'd like to make a 
a plug for you to consider the calling on the church to care for the orphan. In 1992, John Piper preached a sermon entitled Receiving Children in Jesus' Name. And in one part of the sermon, he was highlighting the atrocities done against children worldwide, but specifically in America. He argued that America is one of the most dangerous places for children. And I'm going to read some of his statistics. And while I'm reading these, I want you to keep in mind that this was 30 years ago. Before the internet existed, 30 years ago. Then the internet makes things like child porn and sex trafficking readily available to you. 1992, John Piper said this. Not only do we kill a million and a half preborn children a year, but 22% of children in America live in poverty. One out of every four girls under 18 has probably been sexually abused by someone close to her. Possibly as high as 30% of all mental retardation may be owing to fetal alcohol syndrome. 89% of public school teachers surveyed reported that abuse and neglect of children is a problem in their education. The American home is increasingly an unsafe place for children to be. And with all of those stats, he said, and yet, the family is God's will. In Texas alone, as of January 31st, 2022, there are over 10,000 children in foster homes and over 12,000 children in residential facilities. That is 2022 speak of a modern-day orphanage. In our region... There are 600 kids in these environments. Half of these 600 kids are from Ector County alone. And last month, in the month of January, there were almost 100 kids removed from Ector County. And most of these kids left Ector County because there is nowhere for them to go here. I don't say that to shame you. I don't say that to guilt you into doing foster care or pursuing adoption, even though absolutely some of you should consider it. But I do say to you this, the grace arm of orphan care was never intended to be the government. God created the family. The family is God's design, so the grace arm of orphan care ministry has always been meant to be the church. Man, and that isn't limited to kids in foster care. That also includes biological parents who are dealing with the stains of generational sins. If we're going to be people who claim to be pro-life, let's be consistently pro-life all the way from conception until death. Since 1992, when Piper preached that sermon, I'd argue that these stats are much worse. And the church of Christ must respond to it. Look, you don't have to adopt. You don't have to do foster care. But you absolutely do have to care. And here are some ways you can care. You can pray. You can pray for people doing foster care. You can pray for social workers by name. I can give you a long list of people that you can pray for. I mean, you can write your congressmen. You can write your senators to help protect the most vulnerable people in our communities. You can volunteer as a, a, what's called a court-appointed special advocate for children in our county to give these kids another voice speaking for them and advocating for them, another ally for them when everything they know has gone away. 
You can help resource parents who are in poverty. Like some people are like one refrigerator away from losing their kids. People who are in poverty who lack some physical resources to properly care for their kids. You can mentor, mentor kids through ECISD and other avenues. And I'll say this. You can also foster and adopt. And in doing so, you are stepping into an incredibly broken space that is very near to the heart of Jesus. If you're interested in any of this at any level, let's talk. I know who to connect you to. We are only able to love and pursue people in the way that Jesus loves and pursues us. Because of the cross of Jesus, we have been forgiven. This, none of this is like, this is good works theology trying to save ourselves. None of this is that. But when you understand that you too were once orphaned, you too were once alienated from God in your sin, the love of Jesus to you should motivate you to go to the most needy around you. And that includes the most vulnerable in our communities. So that's the familial and the social component. So now let's look at the spiritual. Verse 15. We're going to look at this again. It says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This verse says, tells us who it is who enters the kingdom of God. Jesus says, Receive me like a child receives me. Children are sinners. Just like adults are sinners. Jesus isn't saying that kids are innocent because they are absolutely not. My daughter, sitting right there, when she was a year old, yanked my beard in anger. There is nothing innocent about that beautiful little girl trying to hurt me. Jesus is not saying that children are pure. Because we all descend from the seed of Adam, the first man who sinned against the holy God in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. Therefore, we all possess brokenness from conception. Because of Adam's sin, we have all inherited a sin nature. And because of that sin nature, we are all separated from God because God is holy, set apart, blameless, without sin, and will not tolerate sin. We cannot enter heaven without Jesus' sacrifice to us on the cross and the Holy Spirit working in our hearts to draw us into faith and belief in Jesus. God, through his Spirit, regenerates hearts. Jesus calls us to belief in him and nothing else. He says faith is all we need. There is a humility with with children that we're just called to as examples. Jesus says, come to me in the way that a child comes to me. Receive the kingdom of God like a child. Jesus platforms kids as the example, not adults. This is what this looks like. I can look at my kids in the face and I can tell them, I love you. And guess what? They believe me simply by virtue of my position as their dad. My kids 
while I love them, while I cherish them, they require things of me, right? If you have been blessed with biological children, think about the moment you held your infant child for the first time. We got Maya straight from the hospital at two days old, so I can relate to a lot of you on this as well. The first time I held that girl, the little girl we prayed for and waited for for so long, all of my excitement was realized in a moment. And then, just as quickly, in that moment, it all gave way to fear because all of a sudden I was aware of just how much responsibility and just how much weight had been bestowed on me. I had to keep this little girl alive. She couldn't do anything for herself. She was a tiny five-pound baby that I had to feed and clothe and care for. She was needy, as all kids are needy. And Jesus says, receive me like a child receives me. Needy. The kids in this story are coming to Jesus with the help of others. We come to God the Father through the Holy Spirit's work on our hearts by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. We are the children in this story, helpless and hopeful, in need of someone else to work on our behalf in order that we receive the loving embrace of God. By the grace of God, through faith in Christ alone. I'd be willing to bet that the children in this story have no idea their need for Jesus. But they know they need the help of their parents. And by virtue of that position as parents, they know they will receive the help they need. Needy, helpless, and powerless, they are brought into the presence of their Savior. And what's more, these children have nothing to offer him. We, in the same way, are to approach the throne of God, admitting our helplessness in order to receive the blessing of being loved and accepted by God through the blood of Jesus. Daniel Aiken says, Jesus says the kingdom of God is received, not earned. It is received like a child or it is not received at all. By their display of trust and absolute dependence on another, children point the way to the entrance into God's kingdom. Children have the capacity to enjoy a lot, but explain very little. They live by faith and dependence. They must trust another to survive. This is such an anti-Western, anti-West Texas way, right? We don't like to be dependent on anyone for anything. We don't want to appear weak. We don't want to appear vulnerable before others. We fear judgment from others. But consider children. If you have kids, consider your children. They will embarrass you in a target for nothing. There is no wall building that has been done. They don't have any church hurt or general life hurt that you and I have. There is no pretending with kids. There's not a fake it till you make it sort of way with kids. They are who they are. Their feelings are out there for us to behold.
Like sometimes like if you're having a bad week and you just don't want to deal with it and you show up to church and I'm like, hey, how's it going? And people are like, eh, good. Like there's none of that with kids. They'll tell you. It's not good. Not good. I hear that one a lot. How are you? Not good. Kids are who they are. Their feelings, their emotions, we see it, right? And it is important for us to teach our kids to not be ruled by our emotions and our impulses. It is okay to have feelings and emotions because those are given to us by God as gifts to reflect God as a gift giver. And because of what Jesus says, it is okay to come to God through Christ's blood by the Holy Spirit and approach him in our weakness. Approach him in our most vulnerable state. We approach him in our feelings and our emotions and we receive not judgment, not condemnation, but love and grace. We get to come to Jesus in confidence because of the cross. Because of the cross, we are loved, we are accepted, and I know in a room like this, there are a lot of you that really struggle with the idea that you are fully loved and fully accepted by a perfect father, simply by faith in Christ. If you're a Christian, God looks at you and he says, you're enough for me. You are enough. Speak that over your life. God says you're enough. Any of you who are parents, any of you who may have been around children at any capacity, they have this way of trying to be sneaky. And I feel like the age my kids are at, they always get caught, praise the Lord. And guess what? I still love them. So if you're struggling with sin in here, If you're struggling, look at me. Look up. Everybody, eyes. This is good. Um, if you're struggling with sin, especially past sin that you cannot forgive yourself for, man, God knows. God already knows. And God loves you. And God has forgiven you. And in a spiritual sense, he embraces you in the way that Jesus embraces these children. And one day, you're going to stand in the presence of God. And Jesus is going to scoop you up in his arms with a loving embrace of a perfect and holy good father in tender affection to you and say, I love you. You're enough. Well done. We did it. What an amazing picture of the amazing grace of Jesus. One of the old hymns says, Nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. May the cross of Christ, may his kindness lead you to faith and repentance this morning. You don't have to do anything, but receive the blessing of being a son or a daughter by adoption through the blood of Christ, by faith in Christ, in childlike faith. We repent of our sins, and we run to Jesus, who sees you, who knows you, and loves you, and is merciful to you, in spite of it all.
Jesus knows, and he's forgiven you. So repent and believe in the cross and the resurrected King Jesus this morning. Let's pray.